Amen. What a beautiful message and song. Boys and girls, you're dismissed for Children's Church this morning. Everyone else, please take out your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, find chapter 1, and we'll join you there in just a moment. Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1. Well, I want to begin by asking you a question today, and I want you to think if this is true of you. Are you blessed today? Are you blessed today? You say, well, what do you mean by the word blessed? Well, if you've noticed, that's a word that gets tossed around a ton in Christian communities. We're, we're always hearing that word. I find it interesting. I seem to find that I can uh, identify Christian communities and people just by their use often of that word. When you ask some people if they're blessed, we, they think that you think that they're talking about being rich, all right? You ever said that to somebody? You're like talking to someone, you're like, hey, so-and-so, they're blessed, you know? What you mean by that is they got a lot of wealth, they got a lot of influence, they got a lot of something. But it's one of those Christian phrases that's just filled with so much ambiguity. You talk to other people, and to them, the word blessed is like this idea that things are going like really, really well. And, and like things are going so well that you're like super lucky, you know, like hashtag blessed, hashtag so blessed, hashtag God bless me, right? And, and you're thinking about all the th ways in which like things just seem to be going right and, and you're like, man, hashtag blessed. Or, or for some of us, we hear that word most often, I think, when somebody sneezes. Now, I've never understood why when somebody sneezes that blessings are in order, but, but they are nonetheless. You know, the word blessed conjures up all sorts of images in our mind depending on what you are familiar with or how you take that word to mean. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What does the Bible mean when it uses the word blessed? What does the Bible mean when it, when it uses the word blessed? And furthermore, how do you know if you are blessed? How, how, how would somebody know? And in the passage that we've opened up in our Bibles to this morning in Luke chapter 1, we discover that the word blessed comes up four times in the passage we're going to read. In fact, the word blessed or blessing often carries with it the idea of favor. And so how does a person know if they're walking in the blessing of God? How does a person know if they're walking in the favor of God? And how would a person really know that? Well, this morning, we've opened in our Bibles to the passage in Scripture that really launches for us the whole story concerning the coming of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And as we think about, as we've been going through week by week through the Gospel of Luke, we've been considering these different stories that are all leading us up to that birth narrative of Jesus Christ and a couple weeks ago, we looked at the story of Zechariah. We, we, we discovered how God miraculously worked through Zechariah and Elizabeth in the uh, birth of the forerunner of the Messiah. We looked at his announcement, his birth announcement. And then last week, we looked at the announcement that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary of, of how she would also have this miraculous conception and that she would carry Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And both of these two miracles, both in Zechariah and Elizabeth, as well as with Mary, these two miracles that take place in the womb of these two women really just 
open up the narrative of the Gospel of Luke and launch for us the entire Gospel of all of these miracles that come after it. And so this morning, you've opened up your Bible there to Luke chapter 1. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read beginning in verse 39 all the way down through verse 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby, she's talking about John the Baptist, in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abram, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. I pray that today your spirit would just fill us. God, open up our eyes to the truth of your word. We pray that, God, your spirit would be our teacher, that we would hear your voice this morning. And we pray that, God, we would think about this passage and, once again, this really picture from Mary that uh, serves as such a portrait to us of what real, sincere faith looks like. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. And so if you weren't here with us last week, let me just kind of recap the story of what's taking place. You remember that the angel Gabriel shows up completely unannounced and he arrives there to Mary and Gabriel tells Mary that she is going to bear a son and that, that she would call his name Jesus. And at the same time, as the angel is telling her these things, he tells her also that her relative Elizabeth, who had been barren, now finds herself six months pregnant as the angel is speaking to uh, Mary. And so at the end of hearing this good news, the Bible says in verse 39 that in those days Mary arose. So shortly thereafter, after hearing about this information, more than likely probably after talking to Joseph about the things that had transpired, Mary makes her way down in a town there in Judah to go see her relative Elizabeth. Now remember just the context of what's happening. There had been no prophetic word from God to his people in over 400 years. Uh, there had been no, uh, any, any kind of, of message, no prophecy, no angels showing up, 
no miracles, nothing for 400 years. And then all of a sudden, these two women receive this announcement of miraculous births. And when, when you really pause and think about it, and as you put yourself there in Mary's sandals, and you think about what she must no doubt be feeling as she hears this news that she is to be the mother of the Son of God. And as she's pondering all of these things and she's thinking about the reality that she just saw an angel. <laughs> I mean, how often does that happen? And she's thinking about all the implications of what the angel told her. That she would be the mother to the Son of God. And, and it's all of these things that she just somehow can't wrap her mind around. In fact, if she were to go after that encounter and tell most people what she had just seen, people would have looked at her and thought, you're completely that's just ludicrous. That's ridiculous. They, they would say that's completely impossible in light of her circumstances. Here she is, a virgin, and now she's carrying a child. And she knows that her decision to obey the word of the Lord would, would mean so many things that in that moment she's having to let go of. As she now just all the, 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 the reality of what the angel had just told her begins to sink in. And as she thinks about her life and as she thinks about her future and as she thinks about all those things that she once held dear and now she's really turning them loose. She's thinking about her future. She's thinking about her ideal of a marriage. She's thinking about a good reputation. She's thinking about her own identity and she knows what she's probably going to be subjected to. She knows that, that there will be cruel insinuations. She knows that people will scandalize her character. She knows, she knows that, that she will endure public sneers and, and just eyes of judgment from people. And all of this she knows. And in this moment, after hearing the angel's word, the only person that she really could run to and tell to really verify and confirm really what it is was happening with her is one person, and that is her relative Elizabeth. The Bible picks up, notice, pick up with me in verse 39 of the story. So Mary arose and went with haste. She travels down to greet uh, Elizabeth. She enters into the house there in verse 39, and she greets Elizabeth. And the Bible says in verse 40 that when, 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 when Elizabeth heard the greeting, the baby that John the Baptist, he's six months there in the womb, leaped right in her womb. And the Bible says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you, here it is, notice these four blessings, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Notice verse 44, for behold, the sound of your greeting came to my ears and the baby in my womb leaped for joy, verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her. You see, remember when, when Mary is there and the angel says to her what is going to happen and Mary just very honestly and obediently with faith says, may it be done to me as the Lord said. May it be done to me. She's, she's hearing this news that seems completely unfathomable and yet knowing that this angel is from the Lord, knowing in whom she believes, the Bible says that Mary believed. She just believed. And Mary, for us, stands as a portrait of real faith. She, she, she teaches us something this morning as we look at her life about somebody that, that, that experienced this sincere, saving faith. 
And notice what happens in verse 46. Because of Mary hearing this miraculous news, you know what she does? She sings. She sings. I find that so amazing, this, this, this passage, this really, it's a prayer, but it's a song. It's, 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 it's Mary pouring her heart out to the Lord. This is Mary's Magnificat, and she there is, 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 is singing. Ever before there's any accomplishment of the things that had been told her, Mary is praising the Lord. She's singing. I mean, I wonder about you as you think about your life. Mary had so many things that she's just pondering in that moment. And I, and I wonder if you really just put yourself there and you think about what she was facing, when you think about what she was considering. She says, notice how she sings in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You know, if, if there had been unbelief in the heart of Mary when she hears this news, she probably would have just said, well, let's just kind of wait and see, right? Like, let's, let's give it a few weeks, let's give it a few months, and, and then if something starts changing, then I know there's something happening. But she doesn't, she doesn't wait. And she's, she's not filled with fear. In fact, in fact, fear would have just made her keep herself quiet, wouldn't it? And wouldn't you think she would have just like, I'm not going to tell no one, I'm not going to say nothing to anybody, I'm just super fearful. But, but Mary's neither fearful nor is she there in that moment full of unbelief. No, Mary is just faithfully believing what God has said, and faith cannot be silent, and so Mary sings. She sings. You know, so the sad thing for many of us is we wait to sing until what we're hoping in is actually accomplished. I mean, really, when you think about nature of life and everything, far too many of us, we end up waiting to see the fulfillment of what we're hoping in, and then we praise, and then we sing, and then we rejoice. We want to make sure that everything actually works out before we give that praise, but that's not what's happening here with Mary. Mary's not waiting till she sees that everything is going to be okay. Mary just sings. So if you're keeping notes this morning, here's a thought I want you to take with you this week. Faith is evident in a soul that sings. Faith is evident in a soul that sings. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, singing is the natural language of joy. Notice how she says it there. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my what? Say it louder, in God my what? In God my Savior. Now, some at this point wrongly assume that Mary is sinless. But Mary here is speaking of her own need for a Savior. Mary stands among women, not above them. And here in her song, she rejoices in God her Savior. She's magnifying the Savior. Mary's not magnifying herself. And it would be wrong for us to idolize her because that's missing the whole entire point of the psalm. Really, the song is Mary not magnifying herself. It's her magnifying the Lord. What does she sing about? She sings about two things. She sings about God's presence and she sings about God's promise. Notice this morning, she sings about God's presence. How does she sing? 
I find it interesting to look at her song and to, to ask questions of, well, wh- how is she singing? What, how, how is she framing all of this? Notice a few things. She's singing devotionally. Notice how she says it. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She didn't say, we magnify or, or God's people magnify. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I wonder how often does that happen for you? In fact, how often are we so prone to forget that? Corporate worship, this time right here this morning, look at me, this is important. I mean, the Bible commands not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Yet how often do you simply, personally, individually do what Mary does here and delight in the presence of God? Look, my friend, if others aren't praising God, doesn't mean you shouldn't. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many of you have a, have a time daily where you're just pouring out your praise to God? Really, it's a challenging thought. So many of us, we wait till, till something happens that we feel like God is worthy of our praise, but God is worthy of our praise every moment of every day. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. How does she sing? She sings devotionally. It's, it's just not intellectually. This is personal. My soul, my spirit. And how does she sing it? She sings enthusiastically. Verse 47, and my spirit rejoices. She's talking about her inner life. Mary says, in my, in, in my heart, in the innermost place of my feelings, and in, in the very recess of my inner being, and in my spirit, and in my soul, I will rejoice in God my Savior. She sings devotionally, she sings enthusiastically, but thirdly, notice she sings theologically. Mary, notice here, she considers and she ponders and she contemplates and she meditates on the greatness of God. Notice, notice, Notice in this psalm all the truths of God and all the different names of God that she addresses. She says, my soul magnifies who? The Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my what? My Savior, notice down in verse 49, for he who is what? Mighty has done great things for me, and what? Holy is his name. Verse 50, and his what? Mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You see, really, these verses right here are just showing for us the heart of the gospel. Mary, Mary, as she's pouring out her pleas to the Lord, she's recognizing, God, you are holy, you are merciful, you are almighty, He is holy. Mary in this prayer is recognizing that God is distinctly other. He is completely separate. He's different. He's sinless. And we are not. We are not. God is merciful. What is that idea of mercy? It's this idea that God looks down and he he, he shows compassion. Let me ask you, where do we see the holiness of God and the mercy and compassion of God coming together most clearly? the cross. The cross. It's a picture for us of the law of God, his holiness. You see, God's law says that sin must be punished. And yet God in his love says, I will save them. And so where do we find the law of God and the love of God coming together? We find it coming so together there most clearly in the cross of Christ that the only way you and I, our legal demands before a holy, righteous God could be satisfied and we can experience at the same time the love of God 
is in what Christ Jesus has done for us on the cross. The Bible says he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God is holy, yet he is full of mercy and compassion. And notice the next verse. And he is mighty. I love how Tim Keller puts it. He says, because God is holy, he had to do something about our sin. Because he is merciful, he wanted to do something. But notice thirdly, because he is mighty, he was able to do something. You see, Jesus Christ satisfied the righteous demands of a holy God. And so Mary, as she sings in the midst of this season where things are kind of pretty messy and she's not really understanding a whole bunch of things, she did not let that at any moment diminish her faith. And in her soul, she sings. She celebrates God in his presence, God for who he is, God in his nature, that he is all of these things, that he is her savior, her, her salvation. But notice, she not only sings of the presence of God, secondly, she sings of the promise of God. Notice how she sings it. She says in verse 45, uh, 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and has spoken to our fathers, to Abram and to his offspring forever. You see, what is she pulling up? She's pulling up the Old Testament. She's, she's pulling up a, a, a reality of 2,000 years earlier that God came to a servant by the name of Abraham. And God told Abraham, Abraham, from you I will bless the whole earth that through you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And over those years, over those really centuries of people who were waiting the coming of Christ as they were waiting the Messiah for centuries uh, and, and in light of things not happening, many probably were wondering, is the promise even still valid? Is God who he really said he is? is, is does he even exist? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he suddenly appears. And he shows up, and, he, and here he shows up to this young virgin girl and he reveals himself in a way that he is sending a deliverer. And God had not forgotten his people. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God had not forgotten them. In all of his ways, God was working sovereignly, providentially, the Bible said, in the fullness of time. God was not late. God was right on time. God was working and he was working in a way to bring about a far greater blessing than many had ever dared hoped. And in the same way this morning, I want you to think about your life this morning because here's what's true of you this morning. If you're in Christ Jesus, the Bible clearly teaches us that God is working in your life. He is working for you. He is working in you, and God is working through you. And what is God doing through those things that, that in those moments that are sometimes silent in the way that God is working, in those moments that are invisible in the way that we do not see God's hand at work, some of us come to places in our life and we feel like somehow God has forgotten us. But God has not forgotten us. God never forgot his people, and he revealed himself in a way to demonstrate that they had not been forgotten. When Ashlyn was first born, we had a number of people give us children's books. I think many of you gave us all children's books for our little library, and I find it a great joy on many evenings to read a bedtime story. We have a lot of favorites, 
But one of the books that I, I have a hard time reading and not tearing up, like that's hard for a children's book, <laughs> is, is a book that Miss Tammy Perry bought for us a number of years ago. It's by a lady. Her name is Bonnie Richardson Jensen. And the book is simply called God, I Know You're There. I'm going to read it to you. I wanted to bring it to you, but I forgot. But I, I want to read you a few stanzas from the book. Listen, listen how this, this is a children's book. Listen how it goes. Wind, I cannot see you. Still, I know you're there. I feel you dance across my face and rustle through my hair. And then it goes through all of these different pages of sun and sky and clouds and moon and stars and rainbow and rainfall and thunder and seeds and snowflakes and, and all these things in life that we see. And the writer pour, brings the correlation of how God is at work behind those things. And then she ends the last page of her book this way, God, I cannot see you, still I know you're there. You're in the love I give away, the sparkle when I care. And if your love is what I show, my heart is fuller, still I know. God, I can't see you, still I know you're there. But he has been seen, and he has been made visible in his first advent, in his coming, and he will come again. Mary sings in a moment in life when it would be something that very many of us would not sing. She magnifies the Lord. She rejoices in God, her Savior, in a moment in time when many of us would have trouble putting into words to even form what Mary is saying. But you know why Mary is able to pull all these rich truths from the Old Testament? It, it mirrors the song of Hannah. It mirrors other psalms as, as Mary is just pouring her heart unto the Lord. And here's, here's why. Because Mary knew her Bible. I mean, she was poor, but I think she grew up in a really theologically rich family. And she knew the truths of God. And so when she was faced in a moment of, of, of decision where she wonders if she can uh, exercise faith to believe God, she does. She believes the Lord. And she sings this miraculous psalm of God's presence and of his promises. And some of us just need to stand before the Lord. Some of us need to get back into a children's book and with fresh eyes and fresh wonder just begin to magnify the Savior. Sun and sky and moon and stars and thunder and rainfall. Any of you ever been out to the beach? Any of you beach lovers? I know you're out there. Where are you at? Do you ever go stand at the edge of the ocean and you just... You know what I mean when I say soak it in? Soak it in. You ever hike to a really breathtop vista or a mountain peak and you just soaked it in? How many know what I mean? You soak it in. We need to soak in more of who God is and think about who he is and what he's done. You see, when we stand and we take these things that we cannot put into words or even understand, how does this seed go from, I mean, we, we know how it works, but we really don't know how it works, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like we know the sun comes up every morning, but we really don't know how the, you know, all of these things that God's done, that, that every snowflake is unique. I mean, we know that, but have you ever tried to comprehend that? It's crazy. 
And yet, that speaks to the awesomeness, to the majesty, to the beauty, to the grandeur, to the holiness of God. Some of us, when we think about our Savior, and as we think about the cross of Christ, it ought to stir within our heart deep feelings of appreciation. It taught to stir within our heart attitude and gratitude and, and ador- gratitude and adoration. Say that four times fast. Gratitude and adoration. Look at my friends, as you look at the cross, and not as you picture that cross that's been beautifully sanded down, but as you think about the cross that Jesus Christ endured, as you think about a cruel Roman cross as Jesus, his wrist and his feet were with spikes driven into wood, as you think about blood pouring out, as you think of Jesus in that moment bearing for you and I the wrath of God, as we think about the righteous law of God and the demands of God coming uh, to its fullness there as Jesus dies on the cross and as we think about him giving up his life for us, my friend, as you think about as Mary did, that, that Jesus is our savior and that he is coming, it should stir within our heart such gratitude, it should stir within our heart such adoration. Mary says, my soul magnifies what? Her spouse? No, you're not talking about how great Joseph is. She's not talking about the joy of motherhood. She's not talking about that in this season of things that she's not so uncertain of. She has a great supportive church. She's not saying any of those things. She says, my soul magnifies who? Say it louder. My soul magnifies who? The The Lord. Let me ask you a question. How can we do that? How can we magnify the Lord? You cannot make God great. He's already great. You cannot somehow make God greater than he is. God God is great. He cannot be improved. That is the very nature of being God. He is God. He cannot become more glorious or somehow more beautiful than he already is. Do you realize this morning, my friend, that if no one were to praise God, it would not change how great and glorious and majestic he is? So the Bible says, so magnify the Lord. Mary magnified the Lord. What does that mean? It means she's not adding more glory to God or somehow adding more beauty to God. No, she's just simply pausing and recognizing and ascribing to God his worth and thinking about how awesome and glorious and mighty and beautiful he is. And he already possesses all of those things. And as she magnifies him in song, she's just simply affirming all the things that are already true. Look right up here as I end this morning. The crescendo of our life can only be one thing. And as a Christian, the crescendo of our life ought to be magnifying the Lord. It ought to be rejoicing in God. It ought to be thinking about his presence and his power and his purpose in our life. And it just wells with up in us how awesome and glorious he is. You know, centuries before the coming of Christ, there was a prophet. His name was Habakkuk. And he was waiting, as many, for the fulfillment of the Messiah. And he says this in his book. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of olives fail, and the field yields no food. 
the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Pretty bad, pretty bad place. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. So magnify him. Rejoice in him. And I ask you a question that I asked you this morning to begin with. Are you blessed today? You can be. Actually, this time of year represents, you know, all the gifts under the tree, all the things that we give and exchange. But the greatest gift, really the favor of God, his blessing is something that none of us in this room deserve. But he willingly, lovingly gave it. What is that? His love, his mercy, his life, so that you could have life. Do you think that's worth praising God for? Do you think it should fill your lips more than it does? Yeah. So let's learn something from Mary this morning. Lord, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my soul, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You know, there's a gift. This whole time of the year is all about that gift of Christ. The question is, have you received it? Have you received it? And if not, you could do that today. You know, I'm more convinced, and it's crazy to say this, but the more that I think about it, I think about something my granddad said to me years ago. He says, Aaron, religion can make people very proud. Billy Graham used to say the largest mission field is the church. Causes me to think about that there's many people who could be here this morning and you've heard this message your whole life, but you've never actually embraced it. You've not come to the end of your sin and the end of yourself. You've not confessed your sins and found his grace and forgiveness to be enough. You're still trying to save yourself by some effort, by some ability. You think if I just do more, if somehow I, I live better, at the end of my life, somehow God will be more pleased with me if I do this or that. And the fact is, none of us here can have God's favor by our ability to do something. It's all because of his grace. And if you've never received that into your life, then, then you're working on human effort to do what is impossible to do. But if you'll receive the gift that Jesus wants to give you and you'll appropriate into your life what he's done for you and by faith like Mary, Lord, I don't understand it, but Lord, I believe it. And Lord, I rejoice today to know you as my Savior. Is he your savior? Would you bow your head with me this morning? I'll give you just a moment to call out to the Lord. Would you, from your own heart this morning, if you are a child of God, would you take this time here as we pray to personally and privately call out to God, rejoice in him, just pour out your soul of praise. You know, life right now may be pretty hard, 
There may be some really hard circumstances that you're about to face and, and, and you're just somehow in your mind trying to figure out how is this all going to work out and this doesn't really make sense. But would you look to someone like Mary this morning and see that even in her life in a season where she had a lot more questions than probably she did answers, she was willing to exercise simple, saving faith and trust the Lord and rejoice in Him and magnify Him. God's not changed by your circumstance. He is the same. He is the eternal God. Your world might be shaking. Your world might be feeling like someone just knocked you out from under your feet and the whole thing's caving in. God's not surprised by that. Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Praise Him.